Our scripture reading, our scripture readings for today's sermon start in John chapter 15. And this is from the same account that I just read toward later on in the same evening after Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples after their meal. And he says to them, this is John 15, starting in verse 12. Jesus says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. And our second reading is found in the book of Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, which he founded. And he says to them, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And it's worth noting that, of course, many of the people that Paul was writing to were Gentiles. Having lost all sensitivity, they, the Gentiles, have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, you Gentiles and you Jews who are living together in harmony through Christ, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, 
for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Will you bow with me as we prepare our hearts to hear the word of God proclaimed? Father, I confess to you that over the last number of months I have had much occasion to be tempted, to be angry, to be filled with a almost brawling spirit, as Paul talks about. And I'm sure that I'm not alone, because we're all in a moment of great frustration We all want to do something, and yet we feel impotent a lot of the time. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to put on Christ, as Paul talks about, to be your friends, as you, the Lord, called us to be, friends who know their master's business, not merely servants. Lord, thank you that we can know that you love us and that we are called to love one another in radical ways. Be with our brother Mark as he comes to bring your word to us and open our hearts to the move of your spirit as he brings your word to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just to put you at ease, hopefully, Yuri has not challenged me to a fight or a duel, or any other such thing. So the uh, brawling spirit that he confesses to has not uh, manifested itself on the outside, at least not that I've seen. (laughs) Michelle concurs. From the start this morning, I'd like to give us a bit of a heads up that we're going to go quite deep this morning. I hope that doesn't mean obscure or obtuse, Um, but but it's not going to be milk, it's going to be meat. We're also going to look at a number of supporting scripture passages along our way, so 
rather than trying to turn quickly to each Bible verse while also following along with what I'm saying, or at least trying to do so, uh, my advice would be to just listen to it as I read it and then jot down the, the, the reference itself as you listen, and then you can follow up by looking them up at your leisure, perhaps even as you listen to the message again uh, through our website or on, on YouTube. Um, now, just for those who might be a little bit squeamish at this point, that's not because we want you not to see what the Scripture says. We want you to see what the Scripture says. We want to be Bereans, so to speak, who, who when somebody is preaching or teaching something that we literally say, is that what the Bible says? Um, I am not the authority. There's no other authority here but God through his word. And so we want you to see it. I'm just saying as a practical matter, uh, it may be frustrating for you if you try to look it up because I'm going to be moving um, probably more quickly than you can keep up that way. Also, um, with the violent events and the aftermath of last week in my homeland, the United States, you might expect I'd have something to say. Well, I do. I have quite a lot to say, actually, uh, but not today and not this morning. But in two weeks, I will, as Yuri just mentioned a second ago. Two Sundays from today, I plan to share a sermon on the proper relationship between Christians, the church, and the government from Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, but majoring on verse 1. We'll spend most of our time just on verse 1. Now, this has been percolating in me for at least 25 years, at least, and especially over the last five. I'll let you do that math. We Christians need to find a new and better way to practice our Christian faith, living the Christian life, while relating biblically to government under God. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about in a, in a couple of weeks. Don't be too concerned, though. It won't be a political sermon. There'll be no liberal or conservative, Trump or Trudeau, Republican or Democrat, or any other party business, as Frodo puts it. Or I guess that's Bilbo with his sign. Uh, no entrance except on party business. It will be a straightforward, albeit hopefully fresh and contemporary, interpretation of the text of God's word for our time and place. So please pray for me as I prepare and as I deliver, and I hope that you'll join us on January the 24th for that. Now, let's turn the page. And let's see what God has to say to us this morning. Love of God and love of others has always been, from the very beginning of our creation, a foundational aspect to what it means to being human. Not merely or uniquely what Christians or spiritual or religious people are to be. We are created as human beings, all of us, to love God with our whole beings and our fellow created human beings as ourselves. Let me say that one more time. We are created as human beings, all of us, to love. To love God with our whole beings and to love our fellow created human beings as ourselves. Now, I've said it three times already, but 
I want to make sure that no one misses the crucial fact that we are created beings. And as created beings, the prerogative for our design and our purpose lies with our creator, not with us. And he has determined, also from the beginning, that our human purpose is to image and represent him as stewards of the earth on the earth. Now, we can see this easily and clearly from the beginning of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible in its book of beginnings, which is the book of Genesis, of course, where we read in the first chapter, verses 26 and 27, quoting here now, then God, this is Elohim, the plural singularity or singular plurality that we've talked about before. He is one and he is three persons. We don't get it. We can't do that. Uh, The one thing we can take away from it is God himself lives in community and so should we. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them, not just him, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God, Elohim, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. This fundamental purpose for our creation, male and female, has never changed. We actually see it affirmed just after the fall in Genesis 5, quoting here now verse 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man or mankind when they were created. Personally, I find it interesting that the text here in Genesis 5 also highlights what we know as the genetic reality that children resemble or are created in the image of our fathers or our parents in a way very similar to how we are to image God and our creator. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 5, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, comma, after his image and named him Seth. By now, the point is probably quite obvious To be a child of God is to image God. To live in God's likeness and to represent God as his steward of the earth on the earth is what it means to be a child of God. This uniquely divine purpose for our human being has been further emphasized and enhanced, not diminished, not obscured, in the persons of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Both Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit came for the purpose of restoring God's image in us. 
so that we might represent him once again as God's, as God's good stewards of the earth on the earth. We need go no further than Romans 8, of course, to see this even more clearly. In verse 29, we read, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Whatever it means to be predestined, here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it says that we who are born again are to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That is our destiny. We might even say our predestiny. In order that Jesus Christ, God's Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Also in Philippians 3, verses 20 and following. But our citizenship is in heaven. I just wanted to note here that the text literally says, but our citizenship in heaven belongs. That's a cool phrase. And it's actually in heavenlies belongs. So we see here once again that we have this dual citizenship. Citizenship on the earth We are Canadians or Americans, or some of us are both. Some of us have citizenships of other nations. And if we are in Christ, we also have, and we have an overriding citizenship in heaven because of Christ. But our citizenship is in heaven, or in heaven, in the heavenlies belongs, and from where, or from there, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So not only do we image God in the figurative sense that we begin to reflect or manifest his character in our place and time, but there will be a time when when our physical existence will resemble the physical existence of Christ, when our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. Wow, that's quite quite a statement. Now, a little less obvious, but perhaps even more profoundly, Colossians 1, Colossians 1 puts it like this from verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, verse 22, Jesus Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order, watch this, in order to present you holy and blameless And above reproach, don't miss this, in the image of Jesus Christ, as he is holy, blameless, and above reproach, he is now going to present us, having been conformed into his image, as holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Finally, we human beings have been created deliberately and purposefully, no accident here, deliberately and purposefully to image and represent the one true and living God on the earth. It has always been so. We do that first 
and above all, by loving God with our whole beings and our neighbors as ourselves. Now, this is most often presented, at least so far as I've experienced it, it's been presented as a Christian imperative, and it, and it is a Christian imperative, but it's also a human imperative. It has always been the case that we are to love God with our whole beings and love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to image the God who is love. And yes, 1 John chapter 4 tells us this. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay, that's, that's one thing. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. But before we move on, I I want us to hear from our scriptural call to worship passage, Exodus 34, the qualities or or characteristics of the great God whom we are to emulate. Starting with verse 5 of Exodus 34, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there. Now, we can probably do a whole sermon on that, on the on the implications of that. Listen, listen to that. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there. Wow. And it gets better. And proclaimed, that is, Yahweh proclaimed the name of Yahweh. (laughs) Yahweh passed before Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but but who will by no means clear the guilty? On this side of the cross and Pentecost, we know we are neither worthy nor competent to judge others. We do not emulate God in this. As Jesus put it, let him or her who has no sin cast the first stone. As Paul and James put it, judge not lest we be judged. And that is by the true judge whose judgment is true. We should and we must leave the judgy part up to our perfectly just, righteous and holy God who knows all, is in all and is all. But we human beings are created to image him, to emulate him, to imitate him as the loving Lord and Father he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving. So we see and we understand everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus promised, and everything that is taught in the New Testament about Jesus and what he will do still in the future is all grounded in Old Testament scripture. God in Christ is God, unchanged and unchanging, and that God, he is love. Now, this imaging and representing is now modeled after Jesus Christ, who is himself God and the image of God, the very imprint of the invisible God. He is God's character in person 
and God's character is Jesus's character. And it's Jesus's character by the indwelling Holy Spirit, of course, that we are to emulate him. And for that, we'll definitely need some prayer, all of us. So before we go any further, let's, let's do that now. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this word of yours. I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, even now, to what it is that you are trying to say to us and what it is that I am trying to say to us by your word and your spirit. I pray, Lord, that there will be no unbelieving heart here, no unbelieving mind, and that we will be open to what you are saying to us and what you have done for us in Christ on the cross and in the resurrection and then further in the Holy Spirit who draws us to yourself that we might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing in our message series. This is message number two in our series. Uh, A new day, a new year, a new life, a new eternity. And the title of this morning's message is loving one another as we have been loved. And it's always been the purpose for our human being to image God and represent him on the earth. And we do that most genuinely, most godly, and most, and most humanly when we love God with our whole beings and we love our neighbors as ourselves. We can see that. But Jesus upped the ante, didn't he? Oh, we're, we're still to love God in Christ Jesus with our whole beings. How can we love more than that? Well, actually, we can because Jesus and the Holy Spirit has increased and continues to increase our capacity for love. Our capacity to love can grow. We can love more and we can love better than we were able to do before Christ, than we were able to do since Christ, than we were able to do yesterday, that we will be able to do more and better tomorrow as we walk in Christ. But for now, and again, since Jesus came, he has shown us what genuine, godly, and truly human love looks like. Following his example and manifesting the love, truth, and character of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, we are to love others as Jesus has loved us. Now, in the passage from John 15 that Yuri read, the very words of Jesus, Jesus made this explicit. Verse 12 of John chapter 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruits should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So before we turn to our text in Ephesians chapter 4, let's take a look at the central truth of our message. It's there in the upper left-hand corner of your bulletin if you have it out. God's people... Now, notice that qualifier, that restriction on the rest of this truth. God's people have always been called to love God and love each other. 
in godly contrast, your bulletin says striking contrast, but I changed it after we had it printed, in godly contrast to those in the world around us. It's not a statement of judgment, that's a statement of grace, of gratitude, of appreciation for what Christ has done for us. With the coming of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we are now able to love God and all peoples, beginning with each other, just as Jesus loved us. Once again, Philippians gives us a profound picture of what this can and will look like. Listen to this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do no thing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which is about us, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's how to love as Jesus loves. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his or her own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's more of how to love as Jesus has loved us. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Now, now, just think about that conversion. We human beings have been created in the likeness and image of God, but Jesus took on our likeness, even though he was and has forever been God. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus from verse 5. Now, if you're not already there, I hope you'll turn with me to our focal passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, and we'll run through chapter 5, verse 2. Now, the reason I chose the rather lengthy passage from Ephesians 4 on into chapter 5 is that it makes clear a very important truth for us to receive, for us to believe, and for us to apply to our lives, and for us to apply as well to our ministries of worship, word, fellowship, caring, and outreach. On the one hand, according to this passage, we Christians are not to emulate the world. It literally says, quoting here now, no longer live as Gentiles or or unbelievers or no longer live as the Gentiles do. On the other hand, by godly contrast, we are to emulate God. Therefore, be imitators of God. Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Now, we can easily see this when we see and hear chapter 4, verse 17, alongside chapter 5, verse 1. So here it is. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, verse 17, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Don't imitate the Gentiles or unbelievers in your life, in your way of living. Emulate or imitate God in the way that you live. And we'll look at that a little bit more uh, 
in a few moments. So let's see what we can see about what we shouldn't do, namely walk any longer as the Gentiles do, why, and what we must do in godly contrast, namely be imitators of God as his beloved children. So don't emulate the one, only emulate the one is what we're seeing in this text. So, so what does that mean? What will it look like and not look like? Here we go. Number one, you, Christian, I'm not pointing at you. I am pointing at you, but I'm also pointing at myself. Christians, but I, but I want us to see that all of us have to take action on these truths for our own selves. This isn't something we collectively do. In fact, most of this passage is directed at, at individuals, and, and, and it, there's a shift here, and we'll note that in a bit. But you, Christian, you must no longer walk, no longer live, no longer think, no longer talk, no longer work, no longer relate, and no longer love as the Gentiles do. Verses 7 to 18 and 19. Now, this truth comes in the form of a command, which means if we are Christians, and we'll get back to that in a minute, but if we are Christians, then we can choose to live differently. God never commands us to do something that we aren't able to do. Now, we can't do it by ourselves. I didn't say that. But we have to take some step of obedient faith in order to grasp hold of the promise of God, even as he commands us. If we are Christians, then we can choose to live differently. It also means that if we are born again disciples of Jesus, we will choose it increasingly. We will grow. We will mature. Now, you might reasonably wonder how I got all of that from this one statement in this one verse, no longer living, no longer thinking, no longer talking, no longer working, no longer relating, and no longer loving as the Gentiles or the unbelievers do apart from Christ. My answer to you is I didn't. I also got it from what follows in verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19 give us the natural causes and characteristics of living as the Gentiles do, having no hope and without God in the world, from Ephesians 2 and verse 12, which encompass those behaviors I just included as needing transformation in Christ, namely, everything in our lives, everything in our behavior, everything in our thinking, everything in our being needs transformation in Christ. There are no rocks left unturned for the Christian living the authentic Christian life. Look with me now at verses 18 and 19. Let's, let's read them in their context, which begins with verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So how do the Gentiles walk? How do unbelievers walk or live? They live or walk in the futility of their minds. Don't do that, he's saying. Or stop that, maybe. Or don't do it anymore. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. How do the Gentiles walk? They walk darkened in their understanding. They don't know what they're doing or where they're going. Stop doing that. 
Don't do that. Listen to God's word instead and believe it. Alienated from the life of God. How do Gentiles or unbelievers walk? They walk alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Their hardness of heart that normally uh, speaks to a pride or an arrogance or a stubbornness. That we, we don't want to give up our own way of living or our own way of thinking. We, even if it's freedom in Christ. So we're hardened. And the thing that hardens us the most is our bondage to sin. And Paul is saying here by the Spirit, stop that. You did not learn Christ that way. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Their their, um, appetites rule them, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So you, Christian, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, no longer live, no longer think, no longer talk, no longer work, no longer relate, no longer love as the Gentiles do. There is something better. There is a better way. In fact, it's better than better. It is the way of Christ. And the way to freedom. But there's more from Ephesians 4. In verses 20 to 24, we get this. Number two, you, Christian, you can and we must live in a way no longer patterned after the flesh, but now newly, progressively, and increasingly patterned after God in Christ Jesus. We could put it even more simply. You, Christian, are to live no longer patterned after the flesh, but patterned after God in Christ Jesus. Verses 20 to 24. Let's look at it. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So what I've just listed is the way some of you are living, but you ought to live that way no longer. Why? Because that is not the way you learned Christ. Now, a bit ago, I said we'd get back to this question if we are Christians. Throughout the New Testament, we are encouraged, we are instructed, we are urged to test that we are Christians. To ask the question, to not be afraid of it, and certainly not assume it. And here, once again, in verse 21, we get another one of those questions. Um... Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So this is an opportunity for us to pause and to ask the question, am I a born-again Christian? Am I a true Christian? What is the evidence? Josh McDowell, many, many, many years ago, like 30 or 40 years ago, asked the question, If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a great question. That's what what Paul by the Spirit is saying. Don't assume. Don't assume assume it for others. 
and certainly don't assume it for yourself. Verse 22, to put off the old self. He's saying to do this, to put off the old self or or your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful, deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created. Here it is again. Don't miss this. After the likeness of God. You see that? It keeps coming back over and over. And I know you, you might say, Wilcoxon, you're constantly going back to Genesis chapter 1. And I think that there are so many maladies in the Christian life and in the Christian church that could be fixed if we understood the reason for our being. And not only that, the reason for our being is continually affirmed and reiterated. And here it is again, and we could miss it if we, if we weren't paying attention. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you, Christian, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and you can do it. God wouldn't command you to do something that you can't do. And you, Christian, you can and we must Live in a way no longer patterned after the flesh, but now newly, progressively, and increasingly patterned after God in Christ Jesus. And we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. There's still a bit more for us here, if we can stand it. And I think we can. It's number three. You, Christian, you must live a transformed and transformative life in Christ Jesus, and you must do so within the context of the household of God, the church, into which you've been adopted by God's Spirit. I'm not talking about Bethesda Church. I'm talking the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You weren't adopted in a spiritual way into Bethesda Church. If you are saved, you have been adopted into the church of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're talking about. And we see this here in verses 25 through 32. Follow there along with me um, as we look a bit further into this transformed and transformative Christian life uh, and the life that we are living. Now, I want you to note, here's the turn that I was talking about earlier. In this first paragraph, verses 17 to 24, the primary emphasis here is on the individual believer. But from 25 to 32... The clear context is that of the community of faith. Don't miss this. The Christian life was not designed by God to be lived alone. In fact, we cannot live the authentic Christian life on our own, independent of other Christians or of the church. Watch now. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you... Speak the truth with his neighbor. What's the context? Well, at least a relationship with a neighbor. So that's at least two people. That's you, each one of you, and a neighbor. So that means it's each one of us and our neighbors. We are already immediately in the context of a community. It gets deeper. Verse, continue on here. I'll just start it over again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members 
one of another, clearly a community context, right? And if we are members of one another, we are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound by his spirit. Our fellowship is with him and with each other. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I know we can be angry with ourselves. I've been angry with myself. You've probably been angry with yourself. This is not what Paul in the Spirit is talking about. This is interpersonal conflict he's talking about. Yes, somebody may make you angry, but don't sin. Don't slander him. Don't lash out against him. Don't repay what you believe to be evil for what will certainly be evil. Do not do it. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is a community context. He's talking about us in relationship with one another here. This is not an individual being angry with himself or giving the devil to, uh, to have opportunity to come against me as an individual. It's an opportunity for him to get a foothold in the church. That's the context here, verse 20, 28. So as we come into the church and we um, function in our places, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. It's not your reputation that now is on the line. It's the reputation of Christ and his church. Stop doing what you once did when you were an unbeliever, a Gentile. Don't live like that any longer. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, a community focus. We're not just looking after our own interests, but the interests of others. You see that? Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Again, a community focus. Building up who? Not, I'm not speaking to build myself up. I speak to build you up. Or I effectively do the opposite. As fits the occasion that it may give grace, community, to those who hear. And verse 30 makes clear that both this passage and truly every passage that's about the Christian life, the Holy Spirit is right there present. Not just in the background, but making possible everything that God's word says. Every instruction he gives, every command that he makes. And here in verse 30, while we're not living as Gentiles do, we have to relate to the Holy Spirit. And it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We don't have time to go into all the implications there, but the Holy Spirit is real. He indwells every single believer and he seals us until the day of redemption. We can't be unsaved if we are truly saved. Why? The Holy Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption. Some of us need to, to let go of an insecurity that we have about our in, eternal destiny. If we've been saved, the Holy Spirit will keep us saved. This is God's word to you. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All of those have community implications. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and watch the standard as God in Christ forgave you.
So Christian, you must and we can live a transformed and transformative life in Christ Jesus, and you must and we can do so within the context of the household of God, the church into which we have been adopted by God's Spirit. Finally, one more and we're done, and it's where we've been headed all along. Number four, you, Christian, you are to imitate God in Christ Jesus by loving others. You are to imitate God in Christ Jesus by loving others, beginning with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also all peoples. There is no place for favoritism or, or, or racism or, or the conflict between ethnicities or nationalities in the church of Christ. Why? Because our mandate is to love each other as Christ Jesus has loved us, every single one. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Earlier, I held out a little bit, but if you keep in mind the title of the message, Loving Others as We've Been Loved in Our Time and Place, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, as children who are loved, and walk in love, live in love, as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now we've come full circle, haven't we? From not patterning our lives after the world as unbelievers do and as we once did. But patterning our lives after God in Christ Jesus who gave himself up for us. By his blood and in the power of his resurrection, we can and we must live transformed and transformative lives, loving God with our whole beings and others, not just as ourselves, but as we have been loved by Christ. That's another level altogether. God's people have always been called to love God and to love each other in godly contrast to those in the world around us. But with the coming of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we are now able to love God and all peoples, beginning with each other, just as Jesus has loved us. Now, don't go anywhere. I've got a final word in just a moment, but let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, Lord, that you will enable us to do it. We know that you will never give us anything to do that we can't do, but, but there is nothing that you give us that we can do on our own, in our own selves, in our own strength, in our own intelligence. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your word to continue to guide us. We need other, other believers around us who, who can help us. Help us, Lord, to love others as we have been loved by Jesus Christ himself. Make us into that kind of people who will be light to the world and the salt of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. The promise of the gospel is for you, and it's for each one of us, if only we'll believe. Repent of our sin that keeps us down and and takes us into dark places anyway, that we don't need and is not helpful to us, and into the freedom of the light of Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about something, if you want to be baptized, if you need to be baptized because you've believed for a long time but you've never been baptized, if, if, you, want to, if you want to talk about what it means to come to Christ, 
call us here at the office and Naveen will get in touch with me and we'll, we'll talk. But uh, call and talk. And, and here's the promise. It, it, it's either for you because you now possess it or it's for you because you can possess it. You can be adopted as a child of God by the work of the Holy Spirit, according to God's word. And if that is true, this is your mandate. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I hope we'll see you next week. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this gathering that uh, you have given us your grace to, to participate in, um, whether by live stream or those of us who are here. And we thank you for all that you have done on our behalf in Jesus. May we be good representatives, good image bearers of his this week. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time.